We're so thankful for our visitors. As always, we invite you to come back. We're grateful for your presence. It might be that you're looking for a church home as the new year begins. I would encourage you to consider the work here. I know that our elders would be more than happy to sit down and answer any questions that you might have, and they would help you and point you in the direction of being involved in the work of the church here. In case you didn't know, we got a great group of young folks. They're always on this side of the building, and we're grateful for them and grateful for the good example that they set. And they are the future leaders of not just this congregation, but no doubt many congregations around this country in the future. And so we're proud of them, very grateful for Jared and Anna and all the great work that they do. We pray that God will bless them with long and fruitful lives and that he'll bless our young people. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 in our study today. We're going to be talking about addicted to sin. It's amazing to look at what Google has to say about addictions. You would be surprised at how many things a person can become addicted to. There is a vast array of things that people become addicted to in life. Now some of the things that we are familiar with, gambling, alcohol, chemical substances, lying, stealing, those are things familiar to us. Biblically speaking, there is a term that is used to identify all of those things. It's called sin, plain and simple. It's just sin. And there are a lot of folks that become addicted to a certain way of life. And there is this alluring power, and sometimes it's very difficult to break the bondage that has developed over time. And so today I want you to consider with me for a moment or two this theme, this topic, addicted to sin. Now we look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. The first thing that the writer talks about is the fact that we ought to beware of the deceptive element of sin. Listen to him in verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The devil uses a number of tools to entice those of us who comprise the human family into a life of sin. First, there is the enticement, and then secondly, there is the entrapment. When I think about the work of the devil and all of the tools that are at his disposal to use, the Bible talks about how he is the God of this age, the God of this world, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And so what he wants to do is to enslave us to a certain way of life. And so he begins by enticing 
us as members of the human family. Now, Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, and the reason is because your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion. And Peter said, seeking whom he may devour. What about his enticements? There are a couple of things come to mind. The devil wants you to believe that a life of sin is satisfying and that there is security in that life. There are a lot of lies that the devil has perpetrated on the human family. And one of his lies is that you can find satisfaction in just doing your own thing. There were some people in the first century that had the idea that what you want to do in life is to maximize pleasure, minimize pain. They were called Epicureans. And they had the idea that life revolved around pleasure. Nothing wrong with pleasure unless we become so consumed with it that we forget about God. I mentioned just a moment ago all the young people that we have. I'm very grateful for every single young person we have in this congregation. And I think about the tremendous example that they set and the battle that they face every day. And there are some allurements out there in the world that they have to be aware of. Those of us that are older, we have our own battles to fight. But there are peers. There are advertisers. There are others in the world that are telling them alcohol is the way to go. You need a drink. You deserve a drink. I mean, you want it, don't you? The devil wants you to think that alcohol is something that will satisfy you. Solomon said, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. Whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. What Solomon is saying is it's foolish to become enslaved to alcohol. There are no alcoholics that never took a first drink. So the best thing to do, just don't drink. I was doing some research this past week about some of the chemical substances and drugs that are available to young and old alike. Amazing. The number of people in our country that are addicted to drugs. I know that many times it begins by smoking pot. That has been identified as a gateway drug. Did you know that, for example, there are many, many people addicted to heroin? I read this past week that typically we talk about drugs and alcohol and we say, well, one drink, one, one high is not going to hurt anything. Did you know that According to documentation, one shot of heroin can become addictive. Now you say, well, I'm just going to try it one time. One time and you're hooked. They tell me the high that comes from meth is indescribable. That people that become addicted to meth have... Tremendous difficulty in overcoming that addiction. I was talking to a brother not long ago. 
that has battled addiction. And he said, and you need to understand this as a young person. I was talking about how it can be a daily battle. He said, no, you need to understand. It's not a daily battle. It is a by-the-hour battle. You can't imagine the monkey on your back. My advice, don't try it. Now, the devil, he wants you to think that's the way to go. You're entitled to it. You're a young person. After all, why not just live and have fun? There are older folks that become enslaved to these things. And it is a destructive way to go. So first of all, the devil wants to entice, and then secondly, he entraps, he ensnares, doesn't he? Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, talks about those who are taken captive by the devil to do his will. Many of us don't like the idea of being imprisoned. And we have horrors of thinking, thinking that we might become a slave to something. What Paul is saying is, if the devil entices you and you take the bait, guess what? He's got you right where he wants you. He's entrapped you. He has ensnared you. And it becomes extremely difficult to break that enslavement. You see, the devil wants to blind you to sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible talks about the God of this world, the God of this age, who has blinded the minds of them which believe not. If the devil can keep you blind to right and wrong, and the best way to do that is to never open this book. If the devil can keep you ignorant of what God says, of God's ways and God's will, then he has the upper hand. He has the advantage, doesn't he? You remember what Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary of the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He said, whom withstand steadfast in the faith. You've got to resist his overtures. If you don't know what the book says, you are at a disadvantage. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, in Matthew chapter 4, Matthew said the way Jesus resisted the overtures of the devil, he responded by saying, it is written. It is written. It is written. There's a lot to be said for knowing this book. I can't tell you how important it is to know what this book says. The devil wants to blind you, and once he blinds you, he'll bind you. Jesus said in John 8, verse 34, that those who commit sin are the bondservant of sin. All he's saying there is you become a slave, a bond slave to a life of sin. That's what the devil's after. The devil wants to enslave you to a certain way of life. So we talk about the deceptive element of sin. But there's a second thing I want you to see, and that is the deadening element of sin. I want you to think about how we are to beware of the deadening element of sin. Back in verse 12 again, the writer said, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. 
First, I want to talk about the habit of sin. You ever thought about how sin is really a bad habit? I understand that we all sin and come short of the glory of God. And those of us who belong to the body of Christ, we too succumb to temptation from time to time. We fall. We're not what we ought to be. So we can acknowledge that, repent. God will forgive us according to 1 John chapter, according to 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. Let me just read for you something that I came across this week that I think really drives home this idea of sin becoming a habit and leading to an addiction. That is, we become addicted to sin. One writer said, Sin has a drug-like addictive quality in that the sense of relief, satisfaction, or pleasure derived from it does not last. Thus, to receive the same amount of pleasure as before, one has to sink deeper and deeper into the perversion. You remember what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13? Evil men grow worse and worse. All he's saying is that it is a slippery slope. Once you begin, it is a life downhill. He goes on to say, closely related is that a person must commit the sin more frequently because the duration of satisfaction decreases the longer one continues in a sin. The will is the power or faculty by which the mind makes choices and acts to carry them out. At first, against his will. A person engages in some forbidden pleasure because he wants to. But if he keeps it up, he soon finds that he has no strength to resist it. This process does not happen any more quickly than an addiction to alcohol, but in the end he keeps sinning because he cannot help but to do so. Now we can help ourselves, can't we? Sometimes we are lured into thinking that we just can't break this habit. We can't resist. Well, we can resist if we so choose to. The Bible says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But I think what the devil wants you to think is you can't give it up. You can't change your way of life. You can't change your habits. You can change. It might be hard, but you can change. So here's an old saying. Think about this. Sow an act and reap a habit. Sow a habit and reap a character. Sow a character and reap a destiny. Let me read that one more time. Sow an act and reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character and reap a destiny. The danger of playing with a life of sin, the danger of indulging in alcohol and chemical substances, sexual relations outside of marriage, materialism, and a host of other things. The danger is it becomes habit for me. And what the devil wants you to believe is you can't break that habit. He wants you to think, look, he wants you to really believe that it is impossible to resist him, to resist his overtures. Jesus said the devil is a liar and the father of it. He is a fraud, and he is intent on destroying us. And one of the ways that he does that is he incites us to a life of habitual sin. 
Now add to that the hardening that comes through a life of sin. The writer here talks about being hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The word hardened here carries with it the idea of being obstinate, stubborn, resistant to the will of God. I think about a callus. If you work outside, you work with your hands, you develop calluses, don't you? Over time, those calluses become rough and hard, and there's just no feeling there, is there? That's what happens when you live a life of habitual sin. You lose that ability to feel. There's no feeling there. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul talks about those who have a seared conscience. And the idea is there's no feeling. Can you imagine people in our world today that are inflexible when it comes to their way of thinking? They're insensitive to any kind of teaching. You say, well, how could that be the case? Let me tell you what. There are folks, their mind is made up. And they'll tell you that. They're not interested in what God says in His Word because they have made their mind up. This is what I believe. This is what I think. This is what I'm going to do. And they're not subject to alteration in that course. One of the scariest thoughts in life is to become so calloused and hardened that, number one, no one can change our thinking. And that when it comes to divine truth, we're just not open to it. How many people do you think in our world today you could sit, sit down with and start talking about some of the moral issues of our day and because they've lived a life of immorality for so long, their response is, I don't buy that. I don't believe it. In Ephesians chapter 4, the apostle Paul writes to people in verse 19, he said, Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. There's the idea. There's no feeling there. Sometimes we talk about people that say, I just don't have any feeling. Last year when I came down with shingles. One of the after effects of that is the fact that those nerve endings become deadened. So I've got a portion of my forehead. It's dead. I could take a cold bottle of water, I can put it on the right side of my head, and I can feel that. I can take that same bottle, put it on the left side of my head, I can't feel it. Why? Because those nerve endings are dead. They are impaired. That's what happens spiritually to people. So, just not open to truth. Not open to changing their way of thinking. Now, there's a third thing I want you to see very quickly. And that is, we're to beware of the destructive element of sin. Here's what you need to understand. When it's all said and done, and you want to really cut to the heart of the matter, sin will destroy you. Let me tell you two things that come to mind here. 
Number one, sin will destroy your relationship with God. Think about that. Sin will come between you and God. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, what was it that separated Adam and Eve from God? Sin, wasn't it? That's why I set forth in Genesis 3.15, the promised seed. Sin is a separator. It alienates us from God. And so, we talk about our relationship with God. My hope, my prayer for every one of us here today is that we would nurture our relationship with the Lord. Now, I said a moment ago that sin will destroy that relationship. There were two things that were plaguing the people in the first century to whom the writer was addressing in the book of Hebrews. Many of these people were on the verge of going back to Judaism. They were on the verge of leaving the Lord. A couple of things stand out. First, they weren't growing in the Word. In chapter 5, he says in verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. If you're not growing in the Word... Your relationship to God's going to be impaired. Your spiritual senses are going to become dull. As a matter of fact, down in verse 14, when he talks about solid food, belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who are maturing in the faith. He said, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Many of us, we go to the gym, we work out, we exercise, and in that process of resistance, we build strength, don't we? The more you feed and study on the Word of God, the stronger you're going to be. And you're going to develop the ability to make wise decisions in life. You're going to be able to discern between good and evil. You're going to see the devil for who he is, and you're going to understand the lies that he presents on a daily basis. You can see it. He can't fool you. So, first, these people weren't growing in the words, secondly, some of these folks weren't going to worship. I want you to listen to what he says. Turn over to chapter 10, verse 25 for a minute. In chapter 10, verse 25, the writer said, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now think about this for a minute. The more you come to worship and Bible study, the stronger you're going to be, the greater your relationship with the Lord's going to be. Why is that? Because, number one, you're in the presence of God. Number two, you're in the presence of the people of God. That can't help. That can't but help you in your relationship to God. So you've got to nurture this relationship. Those of you that are married, you understand it is a work in progress. You have to continually work at your relationship You've got to strive to grow closer together. It is an ongoing work. By the same token, if you want to have a strong relationship with God and you don't want to succumb to the overtures of the devil, you've got to work at that relationship. So you've got to stay in the Word. You've got to stay in worship. Why? Because sin will destroy that relationship. And all the devil's looking for is a foothold. Let me tell you what. You open the door, he's coming in. You remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4? Neither give place to the devil. You let him get his foot in the door. I promise you this, he'll be in before you know it. 
And before you know it, he's taken control of your life. And your relationship to God, gone. Gone. So, he'll destroy your relationship with God. And he will destroy your reward from God. What are your goals in life? Many times we sit down before the beginning of a new year and we talk about the goals that we have, our resolutions. What goals do you have that are in concrete for the coming year? Are there things that you want to, you want to accomplish? Let me tell you what goal number one ought to be. Goal number one ought to be that your life is pointed in the direction of heaven. Your goal ought to be that there is not anything in this world that's going to come between you and your relationship to God. Not anything going to come between you and your reward from God. What about that reward? In chapter 6, turn over to chapter 6 very quickly. And listen to what he says in verse 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Turn over to chapter 10 very quickly. In chapter 10, verse 35, he said, Do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Don't throw your faith away. Why? Because your faith leads to a reward. And so in verse 36, he said, For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. In verse 38, he said, The just shall live by faith. If anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Where would you categorize your life at this point in time? Have you gone back into the world? Or are you steadfastly living for God? Are you nurturing that relationship? Do you have a reward that's waiting on you? Jesus said, be faithful until death. The promise is the crown of life. James said, blessed is the man that endures temptation. Why? Because when he's been tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Christianity, the best way to go in life. Christianity sells itself. Why? Because of all the blessings associated with it. I want to close by asking this question. Are you addicted to something in life that has driven a wedge between you and God? Is there something that is standing between you and the Lord? I don't know what it is, but you do. So as you peer into your heart and you think about all the things that you do, the things that you think about, the things that you say, is there something that has become addictive to you? And we would call that addiction sin. Is there some sin in your life that has robbed you of your relationship to God? If the answer is yes, I want you to understand the devil wants you to believe there's no hope for you. What the devil wants you to think is just give up. Don't even try. What the Lord says is come.
Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. That is, those who are laden down with sin and unrighteousness. And you know what he says? I'll give you rest. I know this. There are people that have addictions in this life. And some of those addictions can be terrible. And there are things that are like a tremendous weight. And they battle that weight day in and day out and day in and day out. And sometimes they feel like they're going to faint, falter. Sometimes they feel like they're being crushed. I want you to know the Lord can give you rest. There are people that are tired of living a life of sin. And there's hope. The hope is in God. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ, believing that Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe Jesus to be God's only Son, and you would repent of all your sins, according to Luke 13, 3, confess the name of Christ, Matthew 10, 32, be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away, whereby you contact the blood of Christ, Acts 22, 16, God will put you in the church. Now, you won't be perfect, but you'll be well on your way to heaven if you'll just be faithful until death. If you're here today and you've gone back into the world, the devil got you back, why not come home? We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. God will abundantly pardon. First John 1, 9, as we stand and sing.